Hey, who made you a disc jockey? Welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. It is episode 170. It's auspicious. <laughs> Parker the cat is already at the door clawing at it and screaming to be let downstairs oh, because dear. he can certainly be trusted to be around during the recording of a, of a podcast episode. It, yeah. It is once again uh, colder and shit outside. Uh, although we had a couple of warm days this week, so all that blizzard snow that we were bitching about last week, almost all gone. Yeah. And yeah, woke up on Friday and it was like 55 degrees. I didn't have to wear a jacket. By the time I got home, it was 15 degrees. <laughs> it's like they say, if you don't like the weather in New England, you probably haven't gone insane yet. This place is weird. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. recommend it. At least we don't have mudslides, I guess. This week. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we have had flooding around now yeah. and again. And all right, never mind. Cranston, Rhode Island is underwater right now. Oh, well... <laughs> It's an improvement. <laughs> I don't know. I've never spent a lot of time in Cranston. Why would anybody? <laughs> so we got to find like the most temperate, safe place in the world and move the home office there. And I don't know where that is. I mean, we like San Diego, but you'll be burned out of your house and walk into an earthquake. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just, I don't know where it is. I'd say Hawaii, but, <laughs> but after the, the nuke scare, that was a lot of fun yesterday. You missed it completely. Yeah. I was uh, downstairs watching TV, going through Twitter. Amanda was diligently cooking us lunch because if I go into the kitchen for anything but beer, there's a fire. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking at it, and people are starting to tweet, we just got this alert in Hawaii. I'm like, all right, are we all going to die? I don't want to scream, hey, Amanda, I think we're all going to die <laughs> without a secondary source behind some dick on Twitter. So where am I looking? Twitter. <laughs> but I also put it on CNN, and there's nothing there. So by the time it even hit the news, there were things from the Hawaii uh, emergency yeah, management. crisis management or whatever. Saying, it's, no, it's a mistake. It's a mistake. So yeah, you came down to say, okay, what, what do you want with your lunch? I'm like, uh, not a nuclear scare. I thought the world was going to end about five <laughs> minutes ago. You missed it. I did completely. And then I'm like scrolling back through my Twitter and I'm like, I can't find anything. It, it, oh, look, cat pictures. Like my, my timeline, all the people were like, eh. <laughs> yeah, if you got to go, snuggle a cat. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yesterday was just a weird day. It's, it started with a nuke scare and ended with eating a bug. I ate a bug <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> you, you ate a dried grasshopper that was an accompaniment to the mezcal that you decided to end your meal on. Yeah, that's, uh, that's never a good idea. <laughs> It's, yeah, I've I've ended my. We, there's a, a Mexican restaurant that we very much enjoy, and I often end my meals with a, a shot of mezcal. Rob, <laughs> I'm normally a beer drinker. Beer and the the most rot gut of whiskeys. We've discussed Rebel Yell Bourbon on this show. Yes. I can see it from here. Actually, <laughs> I don't know if it was you know the two or three minutes of huh, is the world going to end, or if it was just that kind of day, or if I was just feeling weird. But I'm, you know, I too will end my. <laughs> and my meal with mezcal. Now, I'm not a tequila drinker. I'm beer and whiskey. Mm-hmm. So I don't... I've tasted a few, so I knew there was one I kind of liked. And they... But <laughs> they give it to you, yeah, in a ceramic earthenware cup. Yep. Uh, with some orange slices and dead bugs on purpose. And the it's, worm salt. It's not a... Oh, why do they call it? Is there worms in it? I don't know. It's It's... <laughs> Maybe. What the fuck did I put in my body last night? 
I think it's I think it's dried ground worms and salt. Oh, I think Magui oh, worms, that which sounds... is like in the really low rent mezcals. There's that, that worm. Oh, that's the worm in the tequila. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right, mezcal, whatever. The yeah. low rent. Yeah. This stuff didn't have a worm in it. They no. just served it with bugs. <laughs> they gave there were bugs on the plate in the restaurant, and it wasn't a healthcare vi- health hey, health code violation. Look, stop complaining. When we all find ourselves in the middle of the next nuclear apocalypse, I don't know tomorrow, <laughs> we're all going to be eating a bug. Yeah. <laughs> going to start the just day. Just get used to it. <laughs> just. With liquor brewed in the earth like mezcal and bugs. And bugs. Great source of protein. I was practicing for the apocalypse because that's all I'm going to do is just drink. What else are you going to do? I enjoyed the the grasshoppers. Uh, They're crunchy, a little tannic. They they were certainly crunchy. Uh, (laughs) They worked with the mezcal. Yeah. But then again, we're talking about what amounts to a a shot of extremely rustic tequila. I mean, licking a bicycle chain might have worked with a mezcal. It's hard for me to tell. Don't look at me like that. (laughs) Go find a bicycle chain and get back to me. (laughs) Not necessarily as adventurous as you are when it comes to hot cuisine. Bugs are not hot cuisine, are they? Uh, They're making a comeback. (laughs) From where? What plates have they been on since the Mesozoic era? Is that even an era? It is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what to tell you. Like, gee, just just wait for it. Eventually, there's going to be ant egg tacos on the menu or something. It's a thing. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, they're nutty. Oh, I wish I was dead. I don't think I'll have ant egg. Uh, they're supposed to be nutty. Tacos. They have a pleasant yeah. little pop in the mouth. You know what else? <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole line of jokes I could go mm, down. Woodsy. That I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna <laughs> avoid. Yeah, but we'll stick with you. Know what else tastes like nuts? Nuts. <laughs> I can have nuts. Those are available. D's. D's nuts. Stop. <laughs> anyway, been a weird couple of days, but by God, we're doing two shows in two weeks, and these days that feels pretty good. Yeah. And next week we are going to do the Crises Awards. All our, all our highfalutin plans to have particular guests seem to have fallen apart. So it'll probably just be uh, Amanda and me. But by God, we'll set up and do the Crises Awards we next week. In the meantime, yeah, there was nothing else big beyond uh, that. Well, <laughs> after after the little Twitter nuclear scare yesterday, I kind of had the urge to watch Mad Max. Instead, I drank tequila. <laughs> um, otherwise, yeah, there wasn't any big new genre stuff besides just new books. So, yeah, once again, this comic book podcast will He's be about, about comic oh books. Oh, my God. Eating bugs and comic books. It's about <laughs> as American as you can get. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, so, yeah, if I was four. <laughs> even at four, I never ate a bug. <laughs> what I did do. <laughs> oh, God. No, when I was four, my brother was two. My parents went out to dinner and left us with a babysitter. And apparently, I have no memory of this, but my parents love to tell this story. Apparently, I convinced the babysitter that not only should I be served a peanut butter and bologna sandwich, but it's because they were served to us all the time. So yeah, for dinner, she made me a peanut butter and bologna sandwich. And apparently, I ate it. Were you stoned at age four? Uh, That's the only thing I can think of, because it seems... (laughs) Horrible, and I certainly don't think I've ever repeated it, but uh, <laughs> I ate it and apparently said that I liked it. Uh, to, to bring it full circle, on Friday, I ordered a smoked turkey and brie sandwich because I'm like, I- I'm in a hurry. You've got a pre-made sandwich. Smoked tur- I like smoked turkey, brie is cheese, turkey and cheese. Fine, give it to me. So <laughs> I start shoveling it down at my desk because I lead a-, a rich and full life. <laughs> I'm like, what the? Some savage asshole put fucking grape jelly <laughs> On a brie and fucking smoked turkey on rye sandwich. 
See, I could see that if it was something like, like there's a thing called a Monte Cristo, which is a ham and cheese sandwich. Oh, I, I know Monte Cristo. That they turn into French toast and for some reason serve with, with strawberry jam. So I, I never had it with strawberry jam. It's a, at the, my college cafeteria they would serve Monte Cristos, and uh, that's that's why part of why I'm as large as I am now. It's all <laughs> in a base of those early 90s Monte Cristo sandwiches. <laughs> So I know that, but yeah, I never had it with jam. Yeah, I see. I, I have never had it with the jam because I like my sweet to stay with my sweet and my savor to stay with my savory. I, that's Ge- just how I roll, really. <laughs> I'm generally the same. I, I don't understand the thought process behind we've got smoked turkey and gooey French cheese. That let's jelly that thing up and <laughs> give it to this dope. I don't think I've done anything to that. It's, it was planned. Do you wonder if they had cameras going like, like, let's watch. Let's see what happens when you take... Look, he's going to take a bite. He's taking a bite. Well, it's, he's it's, taking a bite. It's not like they... Oh, he took the bite. <laughs> I took the bite, all right. It's not like they, they were trying to spit in my food or anything. It was prepackaged. These guys make sandwiches in the morning and put them in these sealed up things that you need to undo the zipper. And so it's you know not like they said, oh, he's coming. Jelly up, <laughs> jelly up his food because I'm feeling a bit parched and can't put a lunger into it. <laughs> They did it on purpose. I just can't understand why anybody would do that as I kick everything <laughs> under the table. <laughs> just having a full-on rant over there, full body. <laughs> None of which has anything to do with comic books. I went on another goddamn tangent. I swear with this episode, it's going to be like, let's just get into it. And then uh, I'm eating bugs and nuclear scares and jelly on brie. <clears throat> There's something and very turkey. wrong with me. <laughs> so, <laughs> and turkey. <laughs> well, then let's, why don't we get into the comic books? Yes. Why don't we get into the weirdest one sure. right out of the gate? <laughs> this is, uh, I swear to God, we will always talk about Tom King books just because <sighs> they make you fucking crazy, and that equals good radio. But uh, Mr. Miracle number six. We're going to spoil these books. Yes, we, we spoil everything. Uh, we are the jelly on the brie <laughs> of the comics internet. <laughs> yes. Written by Tom King, art by Mitch Jarrods. Uh, Amanda, you and I talked about this a, mm. a little bit ahead of time. I will freely admit that this series, it's turning into one that I'm going to probably recommend people just get the trades. Yeah. Because reading it month by month is frankly confusing me, and I'm inclined to actually like it because I like Tom King uh, as a writer better than you do. I loved last year's vision. I want this to be like last year's vision. It is not. There's some really interesting stuff going on in this series. There's also some baffling shit that I can't figure out at this point that will probably make sense when you read it all as a single unit. Uh, I will say this particular issue I liked better even than most of them. It was a standout to me because for a change on these, for the most part, the storytelling was actually pretty linear. Mm. Not that it's completely fucked up in all the other issues, but it seemed like there were fewer hallucinatory diversions just sort of chucked into it in the middle that it seems like there have been in other issues. At face value, the plot in this is pretty simple. You got Mr. Miracle and Big Barda trying to fight their way to uh, across death traps mm. uh, to get to Orion to protest the sentence of death on Scott Free. Yes. But there's a whole other things going on in it. And what, what impression did you get from this book? Because you're, you're looking at me like... <laughs> like I've gone insane. No, you haven't gone insane. I, I just think, you know, I, it's probably too easy of a solution, but I, I feel like maybe maybe in this book it all starts to make sense. In a, a continued absolute divergence from anything Jack Kirby ever intended for the character of Scott Free, Scott <laughs> has knocked up Big Barda. 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Spoilers. Yeah, he certainly has, apparently. Um, uh, is this the one death trap he can't escape from? Tune in next week. Yeah, I, w- I would probably have a psychotic break, too. I, I totally would. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think... I think you're right. We're probably based on some of the revelations in this issue moving toward a storyline where, yes, it's going to be fatherhood is the one thing he cannot escape, uh, and it will be the one thing that forces him to try to escape his own PTSD and depression. Uh, All I can say is uh, the idea that fatherhood is inescapable, I beg to fucking differ. (laughs) I've done all right so far. It, and uh, and it seems as though Big Barda is doubling down on it with nesting instinct. So yeah, good luck, Scott. Yeah, well, it's it's part of what I, I liked in this issue is the, yes, the plot is very simple. It's driven across all these death traps, but the dialogue has nothing whatsoever to do with what they're doing. It's all Mister Miracle and Barda ostensibly talking about redoing their condo. Yes, which sounds. Stupid. Well, it makes <laughs> sense. It's it's it's. You could make the argument that she's trying to get her head straight because she's going to have that whole space to herself if he is in fact executed. So she's talking about things that she wants to change, and he's chiming in. Although, you know, like, oh, I like this. Why do we have to change this? <laughs> well, yeah, and that's part of it. But also the dialogue. At this point, I I get the sense that Barda has decided, no, we're both coming back or neither of us are coming back. So the whole, I want to redo the condo in case you get executed, I don't think that, that's not what I took from it. I could be wrong. I'm wrong a lot. but It's it's, it's an interpretation, not necessarily the interpretation. Because obviously, she's talking about changing things around to make a new bedroom because baby. Yeah, and... uh. I think that's probably more of it. It's also part of what I took from it was just the the interesting thing of how where they came from has sort of driven how they live. Yes. Now, the, I, I like the dialogue where Barta said, I grew up with nothing, so I accumulate this stuff. That doesn't mean I should necessarily have it, but that's why I do it. And yep. Scott's like, I grew up in a three-by-three three box. I uh, want space. I want more space. <laughs> and whether you know the, the level of maturity of whether they're just trapped by their upbringing or if they can get past that. and Well, now they're trapped by the impending baby, so they're going to have to figure out something. Yeah, and that's a thing that is just not going to work for either of us <laughs> as a plot. Cause, yeah, I hate kids and don't care and never wanted them and because <laughs> I'm selfish and I'm an alcoholic and I shouldn't be around anybody under the age of 30. Well, at least you didn't grow up in a three-by-three three box. Uh, not that I recall. <laughs> <laughs> I may have blocked a lot out. I mean, I, I get where Bart is coming from. You know, I too grew up in the pit, and that's why I have all the cable TV channels. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, sob, no sob story. I just I, I I get where she's coming from. And sometimes when you spend the day every day fighting to the death, and you go home to nothing, you want things. You want that Cuisinart. You want that <laughs> sixty-five inch Sony TV. You want the wine fridge. <laughs> But I digress. I, do I need the things? No, but I will have the things. Because the things don't want to go to college, and therefore I can buy more things. Amanda, everybody. <laughs> we have no less than two Atari emulators in this house, I just know. because you never had Atari growing up. I would go to the local department store called The Fair. Do I have to press the button again? No, but like, and 
my mom would always know where to find me because I would be at the Atari display playing Pitfall or Keystone Cops. Those are the two that they usually had in rotation. Pitfall, sure, but Keystone Cops was ass. It was, but I didn't care because it was a video game. Uh, I, <laughs> I guess. I mean, do we need to wire it up no. when we're done with the show? No. <laughs> Until they can make one of those emulators with a, a trackball instead of a joystick, the the centipede that's included will always be a disappointment. <laughs> uh, yeah, every you know anybody who listens to this show knows every uh, six months, a year, year and a half, we go up to Fun Spot in New Hampshire, which is the the big arcade they recorded the King of Kong in. And uh, still has all, they call it the classic arcade museum, has all the games you grew up with if you're Generation X. And invariably, both Amanda and I come home and start looking at how to build a MAME cabinet. Where can I buy a MAME cabinet (laughs) where we can play all this stuff? It's like, $3,000 isn't much. Mm. And then I sober up. Yeah. And you get the Atari emulator. (laughs) So I'm, I'm... I think where I'm at with Mr. Miracle is I, too, would prefer to read it as a trade to kind of... What the hell's a Mr. Miracle? Oh, we were talking about comic books. We were, we were. I, I too, would prefer to read it as a trade because I kind of want to be able to go back and reread and see how things may be more related than they seem to be in single issues. And and I, at this point, I, I absolutely agree. that This may track far better and less kind of schizo... Uh, than it does now if you can read the entire volume or even half of it in one shot because this is the halfway mark of the series, I think. It is. It's issue six. But yeah, this what I really liked about this particular issue is it it amounts to having like two stories going on at the same time. One is, you know, an adult dialogue between two people who've been in a relationship for a long time going into dancing around this revelation that's going to change their lives. But at the same time, it's this kick-ass linear action story of these yeah. characters going through death trap after death trap. And the cool thing to me is these death traps just get more fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Like in a Dr. Evil kind of <laughs> Austin Powers kind of way. But from guards to acid baths to weaponized sea creatures. Yes. To fucking bottomless pits and shrinking rooms that'll fucking crush you. And Gerard's gets to draw all this weird stuff. But by sticking with a generally nine-panel grid layout, it allows everything to progress very linearly, and the pacing is even, so you can see how all the choreography works and how everything fits together. Yeah. And he sometimes changes panel size to make things more, like with the the room that will crush you. The panels get smaller and smaller, even though technically they're the same size. Uh, So there's just some really good, you know, comic storytelling in this that I, I liked a lot. And it ends on a cliffhanger because seemingly, unless, and here's the one place where the art changes where you think he might not necessarily be in his right mind. Again, yeah. Yeah. Because we can't quite get away from that. Um, Scott Free may or may not have seen Darkseid at the scene of what looks like Orion's murder. And yeah, that's when all the art goes back to the weird kind of schizo stuff that we've seen repeatedly in this series. So all we know is that Barda finds him with Orion's body. Yeah, so in its own way, it's been refreshing in this issue. Everything is logical and proceeds apace, and there's cool action to go with sort of this adult dialogue, and then, it, yeah, it just sort of gets weird again. So I generally like the issue a lot because for the first time it, in a while, at least, it's like, okay, nope, everything, I get what's going <laughs> on until I didn't. Yep. And that's been part of what's frustrating, and I'm sort of leaning toward, well, maybe we'll just do the trades from here on out. Yeah, we'll see. This one even had a couple of jokes in it, which I, I liked. 
those guards saying, uh, "All right, this is this is the fourth world. <laughs> what, what's the first world?" Dude, do you know anything about theology? It's like, dude, I'm a god. I am theology. It's like, all right. <laughs> there's there's some cool stuff going on in this issue. And yeah, I can see the theme that he's going toward with, oh, nobody can escape fatherhood. But that just clanged wrong for me because, yeah, like, uh, no, there's ways. Kleenex, think about baseball. It's all kinds of ways <laughs> to get away from that. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole theme of, you know, what you learn as a child impacts you as an adult. And if you were bringing kids into the world, how do you want to use what you've learned positively to shape the next generation? Because the next generation is how you escape death. While you may die, they are your legacy, blah, blah, blah. Well, now I'm depressed. Thanks. Uh, Thanks for nothing. Okay. He's going to try to escape fatherhood by going to jail. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> may have killed Orion. <laughs> Yeah, this is a remarkably violent book for characters that I first became familiar with as sort of half the comic relief in Justice League International. Yes. <laughs> There's like a decapitation on the first page. <laughs> it's like, oh, I thought he just floated with those discs. That didn't do fucking murder discs. Murder discs. But yeah, it's I generally I generally like this issue. I liked it better than most of them, but yeah, I'm leaning toward yeah, you know what? Maybe it's time to take a step back and and read it as a whole. And maybe I should do the same thing with uh with King's Omega Men, which is the first thing I saw by him, and I just virulently did not like. I read the first issue. I'm like, I don't like where this is going. And, and that was a similar sort of nine-panel grid, paced very evenly, but some of how it opened up it's, it, you know, just didn't work for me. So maybe I should go find the trade for that one. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, this one, you can't call it a jumping on point. No, no. I mean, I've read this since the first issue, and I'm not convinced that was a jumping yeah, on point. Yeah, I was about this. to say, I don't, I'm not sure that issue one was a jumping on point. Yeah, but if if you've wavered and it's like, all right, I, I want to try one one issue to see if it's something I can hook into, there are worse ones that you can, can do so far than this one. Yes. Overall, meh. Meh. Not bad. Meh. <laughs> Amanda's a full meh. I'm a meh, not bad. Meh. Some cool stuff. This is another one I know you're meh. Meh. <laughs> <laughs> they got my dick message! Meh. Let me see again for the record. Meh. <laughs> <laughs> Avengers 765. I'm sorry, 675. 675. Yes. Uh, written by Mark Wade, Al Ewing, and Jim Zub. Uh, art by Pepe Laraz. Uh, yeah, we're three months out of... Uh, three months or so out of Marvel Legacy 1, which was supposed to be the turning point for Marvel, getting away from events, and here we are with the... An event. First part of a, the Avengers, no surrender. <laughs> the Earth done got ripped out of the sky. We're not sure where it went. Yeah, because, uh, hey, <laughs> Marvel Legacy's not a reboot. Nope. Mar Marvel doesn't reboot. Nope, so is this the beginning of the event that sees a streamlining of characters by killing some off? Uh, so uh, that, uh, you know, only one iron person may stand, for example? I don't know if it's going to kill people or break up one of the 14 fucking Avengers titles that it seems is on the, the shelf at any given time. I uh, might be an Avenger. I, I've i lost track at this point. It's possible, yeah. <laughs> you're an Avenger. Uh, <laughs> you're the drummer for Guns N' Roses. Yeah, you know, it's... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is the beginning of it's a 16 issue story where, uh, yeah, the Earth gets stolen. It's supposed to be uh, set a whole new status quo for the Avengers title for the immediate future. So it brings 
all of the various Avengers teams. We got Mark Wade's main team, the U.S. Avengers, the Unity Squad from Uncanny Avengers. Gets them all into one story in one title that they're going to come out with weekly for the next 16 weeks so that you don't have to buy three Avengers books every month to follow it. <laughs> Since it's weekly, now you have to buy four. <laughs> And, oh, that's better. And Thank God. Since it's got a lenticular cover, you get to pay an extra buck per issue. So. Ooh, duh. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Marvel doesn't reboot, but they also don't fucking ever learn anything, apparently. Um, I, will, I will grant this. I don't know which of the three writers came up with it, but one of the best lines of all of the books I have read so far this week comes from this book, uh, wherein Nadia, one of, one of the wasps, Yes, the new wasp. Yes. Um, it is out there. Jarvis is directing her to go help people during this crisis event. And uh, she points out to people that she is currently wearing her resting terror face. <laughs> that was not a bad line. Yes. That was pretty good. <laughs> I, uh, I personally liked it when the Earth was stolen and we panned out to Captain Marvel in space. And she <laughs> looked agog at where the Earth used to be and said, I burned my family alive and I like to light things on fire. Fuck Captain Marvel. I, I still cannot get over the fact that she has is allowed to walk free. Yeah, gotten no redemption or any kind of comeuppance for being a fucking fascist who killed a founding Avenger in Civil War Two. Yeah, the best moment of this book for me was oh, Captain Marvel's been left behind. That means she can't be a large part of this fucking story. <laughs> Fix Captain Marvel before we go any further with her Marvel. For Christ's sake, yes. you fundamentally broke the character and have done nothing to fix it, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So yeah. Fine. You go be off in space now. Leave it for the other Avengers. And I know Tony Stark is alive. So, oh no, you didn't re- she didn't really kill the founding Avenger. We'll see him back in the armor before Bendis's last issue is done and he finally is completely at DC full time, but I'm sorry, making Captain America a worse person in Secret Empire than Captain Marvel was in Civil War. That doesn't redeem Captain Marvel. No, because at least Captain America is going through a redemption arc. Yes, he's going through a great arc in uh, Mark Wade's Captain America, yeah, which has, for the first three issues, been amongst the best uh, of any given week that it comes out. Yeah, and while, why they feel a- absolutely no compunction whatsoever to do that for Carol Danvers is just maddening. It, it, yeah, it's ridiculous, because I, I like Captain Marvel. I like most of Kelly Sue DeConnick's run. It, it was a good character that, for whatever reason, somebody well, decided, let's bitch her up. And, the, and, the, and that's the problem, is since they're choosing, actively choosing not to have her have any kind of redemption or face any kind of justice for her choices, it feels like a tacit or implied, nah, she didn't do anything wrong. We, as a publisher, do not think she did anything wrong. (laughs) Captain Marvel did nothing wrong. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, it's... (laughs) It's awful what they've done with the character. And the problem is it it just shows that how little Civil War II actually even matters. Yeah. I mean, just go back a year and a half. At the end of Civil War II, Ulysses saw eight or ten multiple possible things that could happen to the Marvel Universe. He also saw Spider-Man kill Captain America, which never happens. Somehow the dipshit completely misses that some asshole stole the planet Earth. Civil War Two meant nothing. Fuck Civil War Two. Yeah. God damn it. This is not part of Civil War Two. No. And I'm bringing far too much baggage into it. It's as as an old school start to a kind of an old Avenger story. It's it's not 
terrible, and so you get this horrible event, and it requires somebody to say, get all the Avengers, all the reserve Avengers. If you've ever been on the team, show up um, and use it as a shakeup to sort of excuse putting different, maybe older members on the team and come up with a whole new configuration, which is fine. God knows Bendis did that in Avengers Disassembled. People hated that when it came out, but I think history's treated it pretty well. Yes. I really like it. I enjoyed it. And at the time, I was not a huge Avengers fan, so it was like, I don't, I don't care. Do it. I'm not reading it right now anyway, so let's see what he does with it. A lot of people felt differently. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and looking at how that came out, Bendis's new Avengers was light years better and more innovative and more fun than anything that's been done with that team since Secret Wars. And I didn't like Secret Wars or... <laughs> Frankly, I didn't like Hickman's run on Avengers or New Avengers either. So I I guess what I'm saying is when Bendis left, <laughs> Bendis left the Avengers, that's when Marvel jumped the shark. It was right around then that Joe Quesada gave, uh, became chief creative officer right. instead of editor-in-chief. Yep. And uh, it went to Axel Alonso. So yeah, that's when Marvel started having problems. That's when Marvel jumped the shark. Yes. It was like sometime in 2011-ish <laughs> when those two guys yeah. had left where they were at. And it crept up on the on the on all the titles like like a, a frog in water that's slowly being brought to a, a boil. <laughs> yeah. And considering 2011, that's when the Avengers movie came out, right? Yes. So yeah, 2011 is like the high water mark of what Marvel could, could achieve. Be, yeah. And the problem is you can see a high water now mark because the water has crept back. Yeah. <laughs> it's receded a little. Not in Cranston. <laughs> no, Marvel is uh, balls deep in Cranston. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense no, at all. No, mm, no. Amanda and I are both <laughs> a little tired today. Uh, so if we meander a little bit. Sorry, what? <laughs> uh, sorry, were you, ha- were, were you uh, reminiscing about eating a, a grasshopper? <laughs> no. That glazed expression. Uh, God damn it, we need a nap. But We promised these scumbags <laughs> a show. All right. Um... All right, so the big hook of this story, uh, which you can tell by the end, and God, Marvel wants to make it a big deal, only I had honestly forgotten about it. Uh, I just happened to have Marvel Legacy 1 upstairs while I was rereading this and putting together notes on the show. But uh, yeah, they want to make it a big deal about who this Voyager is, this Mm. supposedly forgotten founding Avenger who, as of Marvel Legacy number one, shows up on the statue outside of Avengers Mansion of the founding members of the Avengers. Nobody's ever seen her before. Nobody knows who this character is. And she's going to show us everything that we thought about the Avengers is wrong. Yeah, and, except that she's drawn to look exactly like Hope. Uh, which Hope? The the one that travels with Cable. Oh, that one? Okay. I, I can see that. I thought I saw possibly some vivision. Uh, the character's name is uh, available online. Uh, I think Tom Brevoort, uh, one of Marvel's chief executive editors, uh, has said what the name is, and it's not anything that I recognize, but uh, it wasn't Viv Vision. No. So, I mean, look, the idea of this Avenger who comes from nowhere and nobody seems to remember, yeah, that's a fine idea. I really liked it when it was Sentry or the Blue Marvel. It's uh, not exactly... <laughs> A brand new idea. I mean, certainly the idea of a mysterious female who shows up and the entire universe changes around her. Awesome idea. Ask Pandora from Flashpoint, then the new 52. It's, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that worked out so well. We're, just not, we're not seeing anything particularly new here as far as I yeah. can tell. Unless it turns out this character is, oh, secretly this other character who we've legitimately known for years. I'm pretty sure she's Hope. I mean, it's possible. It's 
gonna because they also make a, a, a nod at it in one of the text boxes, um, and it's there's a, a line where Quicksilver and and Rogue are fighting, but in the the blue box it says, "Sometimes people don't do so well." Next text box without a little hope. Bolded. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Son of a bitch. Plus, artistically, the tell is she's got that kerchief around her neck like Hope wears. Let's see, I've never... I remember, was it Avengers Generation Hope or yeah. X-Men Generation Hope from a few years ago? And that's literally all I remember about it. As I I don't care about Cable, couldn't care less for the most part. <laughs> but, okay, that, that makes as much sense as anything, I guess. I would rather have, <coughs> excuse me, I would rather have that than another, oh, here's a character you've never heard of before because that's Marvel's done that repeatedly. Yeah. So it doesn't do anything for me. And hi- historically, they've done it with Superman analogs. All right, we'll do it with a Wonder Woman analog now or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Regardless of that, I-, I like the idea of having a big story that can shrink all of these dis- these disparate Avengers titles. It literally feels like there's a dozen of them sometimes. Yeah. You know, Marvel, let's get that down to one or maybe two titles. I think Marvel's learned the hard way that just because a book has Avengers on the title doesn't mean anybody will buy it. The same way I've learned the hard way that I will never remember to tell the owner of our local comic book store not to just put a book on my pulls because it says Avenger on it. <laughs> um, but it, it, there's just not much here that felt particularly original. Yeah. It's an extinction-level event. Everybody's assembled. Now what? Uh, yeah. I mean, blowing up the status quo and putting old favorites and, and a forgotten hero on the team was... And I also mean, possibly uh, putting Jarvis in the ground. Yeah. It's, he got injured, saving a kid. Uh, yeah. But it's uh, th- this is all shit that Bendis did, and it was audacious 15 years ago in Avengers Disassembled. Right. <laughs> Except, you know, Jarvis, Jack of Hearts. Either way. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and it's it, it looks like they're trying to do exactly the same thing. This book opens with Living Lightning, who was in West Coast Avengers in the early 90s. So fine. It's, it's like somebody said, okay, that Avengers disassembled. Let's do that again. Only let's move it up 15 years. So yes. where Bendis used forgotten heroes from the mid-70s. Now apparently we're going to do it from the mid-90s. Seems right. Yeah. So it's, uh, look, I want this to be good. I I remember liking the Avengers titles, and yeah. I still like Mark Wade's right now. You know, I love Mark Wade and Al Ewing. I really like Jim Zub. I don't think he's quite at that love level, but well, he generally no, I mean, does better than he doesn't. It, there's, a, there's a lot, I suppose if, you, if you're a younger reader and maybe haven't read Marvel Disassemble, or Avengers Disassembled, uh, you know, there's a lot to commend this book. The artwork is beautiful. The, it's you know, the action flows very obviously, and and you're not confused. There's no weirdness in terms of panel layout. Yeah, the the dialogue is clever because all three of those writers have a a good ear for dialogue. It's just it feels a little bloodless if you've already lived through all of the rest of Marvel. Yeah, it's it just doesn't feel. It feels like they said we need a new Avengers disassembled. Yeah, and you, you can't have that because I mean you could you could try to ape it. Batman versus Superman versus Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. You know, certainly you can try to ape it, but it's not going to be the same. You can't catch lightning in the bottle the same way. When Bendis did it, it was unbelievable. Bendis killed Hawkeye. Yeah. You know, oh, Jack of Hearts. He also killed fucking Hawkeye, and Hawkeye did not come back until Secret Invasion. That's it's, right. So that was a big deal. They, they really fucked around. 
Who are they going to kill now? Tony Stark is already half dead. Mm-hmm. They tried that with Civil War. Bruce they've, Banner's dead. Bruce Banner's dead. Uh, they've killed various Captain Americas at least two or three different times yeah. since uh, the first Civil War, not counting turning him into a fucking Nazi. That I don't know what surprises they could pull out of this besides, oh, it turns out it's hope. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine. Because right now, every indication, including that interview with Tom Brevoort that I saw on Newsarama, I think, was sort of hinting, oh, yeah, you should probably think along the lines of Blue Marvel or, or Sentry of, oh, good, it's another character that nobody remembers. We've done that. And it's been done well. Yeah. But it's been fucking done. <laughs> and taking that character and putting him on the new team, that was New Avengers. <laughs> Is anybody screaming to see Living Lightning do anything? At least putting Spider-Man and Wolverine on the new Avengers was like, wow, this is kind of a... Yeah. <laughs> the, the, these are characters I would not expect. You know, Luke Cage and Iron Fist. Yeah, all right. Well, yeah, I, I will put Living Lightning for the early 90s along uh, the, the same C-list right. as Luke Cage and, and Iron Fist were at the time. So, I, all right. But it's still... We've done it. Mm. I have some hope for this that at least by the end of it, it's like we've got a reasonable number of Avengers titles, but at the end of this particular issue, it's uh, all right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'll, I'm certainly interested in reading the next one, but so far there's nothing here that's, that's got my blood pressure up. <laughs> yeah. It didn't piss me off. Yeah. It's uh, the closest I got to, but it also didn't set my world on fire. It's like, yeah. I've seen this. It, it made me want to reread Avengers <laughs> Disassemble. So. There's a feat. No, it's not a feat. I reread that about once every two or three years. I'm probably <laughs> due anyway. But we did like some books this week. We did. Do Old Man Hawkeye? Because this one I know you, I think you liked. I, I liked it, but I think you liked it better. Than I really like this book. Okay. Old yeah, Man. Like evil Jamie Madrox in here. There you go. <laughs> uh, Old Man Hawkeye, number one, written by Ethan Sachs, art by Marco Cicchetto. Yes, one of my favorite artists. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of going back to the well. We're back in Mark Millar's old man uh, Logan universe, uh, except uh, this is, like, I got a soft spot for old man Logan. Yes. Which uh, is derivative as hell and lifts from about four or five different better properties, both in comics and movies and TV. I think that's part of why I have a soft spot for it. It's like, oh, this is ripping off things that I find beloved. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, being that this is in that same universe, there's... It's pretty decent. It is. I I, I liked it. Well, because you, you you know, if there was ever a non-powered character that would probably survive in in the face of the supervillain apocalypse, it would be Clint Barton. Probably through blind animal luck. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just sort of bungle his way into living through it. And, And what they've set up here is like the one thing he has going for him that that keeps him employed and allows him to be one step ahead of those who who might, you know, harm him or the family from whom he is estranged is his vision and his ability to to fire these arrows and he's facing down the sentence of glaucoma in the apocalypse. I mean, now there's like treatments and stuff, but apparently not so much in the future. Oh, I think Clint can find weed. I think based on some of his characterization uh, by Matt Fraction, he's found weed more often than not sometimes. Uh yeah, I mean, the thing is, this takes place before Old Man Logan, and it's been a while since I read Old Man Logan, but uh, he was blind in that book. So Yes. So this, it, we know he's, and to me, it was a weakness of this right out of the gate. To reference it? 
it's not even to reference it. It's a, okay. We know when it takes place and we know it's part of this universe and therefore we know old man Logan happens afterwards. So therefore we know Clint survives this. We know Clint doesn't find a cure for his blindness. Uh, we know what happens with his daughter because mm. we saw that in old man Logan. Uh, so some of the stakes are pulled out of this just because you know how certain things are going to go. One thing I did like about this is in between old man Logan and now we got that Matt Fraction Hawkeye. Right. That did real wonders for really defining that character beyond I'm a hothead who shoots arrows and I'm on the <laughs> Avengers constantly. Yeah. And I love purple. <laughs> Don't know why, but I love some purple. I got to have purple. <laughs> it doesn't have purple in the future. I'm an urban Avenger in purple. Apparently they got rid of purple in the future. With the biggest mask ever. Yeah. <laughs> but So we've got all this new and really interesting characterization on Hawkeye that can be brought to bear on the version of Hawkeye and Old Man Logan. And we do get some of that context. I mean, here he is, he's, he's a deadbeat. Yeah. He's tends to let down his friends and family. He, he's obsessed with being a good guy. He will stick his nose where it doesn't belong. He gets himself into situations where he's in over his head. But because he's kind of a fuck-up, he lets people down. Yes. <laughs> so having that extra context, and it's I don't want to put anything on Ethan Sachs going, wow, the best thing that ever happened to you was Matt Fraction, because that's not the case, but he's got some stuff to work with. He does. He does. And, and this seems like the logical extension of Fraction's characterization of Clint Barton. Yeah, if you want to do this as a Hawkeye, The Dark Knight Returns, <laughs> a book that nobody has ever asked for and nobody will ever they. thought they wanted. <laughs> but yeah, all right, now we've got an actual character to work with and there could be some cool stuff on it. The possibility of a fight between Hawkeye and Bullseye, which is not a matchup that I remember seeing anywhere, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and it's actually something I, I, I really appreciated is you get the sense near the end of the book, there, there's some martial character that's introduced who shows up at the crime scene where previously in the book, um, a version of Jamie Madrox lives in this apocalypse. Yes. And it's not the original one because the multiples make a comment that they no longer answer to the name of the progenitor. Yes. Uh, however. <laughs> but it's a, even that benefits from Peter David's characterization and plots from X Factor. Yes. And God, I missed that book. Absolutely. So uh, on the one hand, it was a delight to see any version of Jamie Madrix show up. Um, and then most of them were killed off by Clint, which is fine because they were evil. Yeah. <laughs> the, the more I think about <laughs> the Madrox's uh, dupes in this, yes, the more I appreciate it because <laughs> Madrox because of where he lived and the type of experience that he had very much embraced, okay, I live in a dark part of the city, so my life is noir. Yeah. And this is very much a sci-fi Western, so I can see Madrox saying, okay, well, now I live in a Western, so I will, every one of my dupes will have these horrific fucking mustaches. Buffalo Bill mustaches. <laughs> they really are horrible mustaches. Just, I mean, just that because, alone is worthy of an arrow in the face. <laughs> yeah, just because, just because, well, I live a Western now, so it's really clever. Yeah. And, uh, Mr. Sachs, if we ever meet and you didn't do that on purpose, don't ever tell me, because I just gave <laughs> real respect for, for what you're, the thought you're putting into this. Because See, the one thing I did pick up on is, oh, by making those duplicates, that means they're not, air quotes, human or air coats 
have any rights under American law. <laughs> so it's okay for Hawkeye to murder them in the face with broadhead arrows, and it doesn't fuck with your, your uh, age rating. Yes. It's like shooting a stormtrooper. <laughs> Although I did question why, why Clint didn't go back and retrieve his arrows. Uh, I mean, I know, yeah, they'd be gross. Lazy? Maybe. I, mean, I don't know enough about arrows. I would imagine you'd want to preserve them just because it's the future and it's the apocalypse and how many more can there be? Yeah, I mean, you would think. Uh, I don't know. It's uh, I've, my friend of the show, Trebuchet, who is a uh, firearms enthusiast, loads his own ammunition. I imagine you can make your own arrows. I, I, I'm not saying it's impossible to make them. I'm just saying it's the future, so supplies may be low. you're in the apocalypse (laughs) i i guess i I just i don't know enough about archery yeah uh i do know that uh clint is lazy but then again he dug graves for each individual not even person dupe Dupe. of madrox right so getting back to that the one surprise here that i just found really amusing is you get the impression out of the gate looking at this character because he's in silhouette you're like, oh, is this the evil ber- version of Cyclops from back during the whole, you know, Phoenix nonsense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because you see this when he finally turns, the first thing you see is this red light glint. So that's the first thing you think of. It's like, oh, okay, Cyclops. And then it turns out to be Bullseye. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would guess that's on purpose. I mean, there's enough well thought out stuff in this book that I, mean, I can see him giving that kind of wink and a nod. Yes. Uh, but yeah, making it bullseye and explicitly up front, making it clear, you know, yeah, Hawkeye's lost a step. You know, he's going blind. So yes, the man who can, who also never misses and can turn anything into a weapon. That does know. make so much more sense in terms of adversaries. Yeah. It's, <laughs> the weird thing is I've been reading Avengers comics on and off since I was seven, eight years old. It's not a book I got into when I was a little, little kid. Yeah. But, if you held a gun to my head and said, who's, Aka, who's Hawkeye's arch nemesis? I'd have to go with life. The, I'd have to go with the tracksuit mafia <laughs> from Matt Fractions because I don't know who Hawkeye's arch nemesis is. It's life. It's, a, it's the collection agency. It's <laughs> I think it's Jarvis trying to, <laughs> trying to kick him out. Get your own place, for Christ's sake. We pay you. <laughs> Get out of my basement. Yeah. But, so I liked the... Uh, I liked seeing the the tease of Hawkeye versus Bullseye. The tease of Hawkeye versus Venom seems more like Promote synergy. It does. What that really feels like is, although okay, mul- multiples of the symbiote. That's kind of an interesting concept. It's an interesting concept, but one that has nothing whatsoever to do with Hawkeye, or why anybody would care. What it feels like is. Somebody said, okay, we're going to make this a 12-issue miniseries so we can sell two trades. <laughs> so be it Axel Alonso or C.B. Sobolski or whoever said, yeah, find a way to make this 12 issues instead of six. I mean, Jesus, even the original Old Man Logan, I think, was only six issues of Wolverine. Yeah, I think you're right. So it feels like filler. And it it, it felt like obvious, all right, well, we need a couple of guys <laughs> for a <whole laughs> guy to fight before this uh before we get to the final showdown. And that might be, I just, I'm willing to overlook something that seems odd b- because I just enjoyed reading this so much. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's a, and I, uh, Marco Cicchetto is not one of my favorite artists. I really like the art in this. I think he draws a good, 
grizzled, not even grizzled, beat down. Yes. Logan was savagely beaten. And okay, nope, I'm just trying to survive. This is a guy who's, he makes him look like a hippie. So an old idealistic. Yeah. But everything he believed is not, the, the world is just shit. He's lost everything. Yeah. But he's still, okay, no, I still believe in being a hero, even though I now shoot people in the face. <laughs> yeah, take... he's running protection for like a member of AIM at the beginning of this. Uh, yeah, or Roxxon or something. Yeah. And yeah. Hammer, the guy's name is Hammer. I think that's AIM. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Or, or Justin Hammer, some yeah. kind of, yeah, either way. Uh, yeah, he's just taking stupid goon for higher jobs and not asking the right <laughs> questions of the right people. Right. That's... Yeah, in, in general, I like this a lot. I think you liked it a little more than I did because, like I said, I could see the filler you know, already in it. It's like I don't. What am I going to get from watching a, a dude shoot at Venom with arrows? It's, Who cares? It'll be cool. Yeah, I guess, <laughs> but it's it's a hard concept to fuck up, and even Mark Millar couldn't fuck it up. And that's why I still have a soft spot for the original one. It's it's one part Mad Max, you know, one part Shane, one part Unforgiven. And you, know, you steep it all in that original warmed-over implied tragedy that really lies at the heart of Millar's own wanted. Yes. You know, minus that horrible, nihilistic, let's rape our way to self-actualization bullshit that makes that book hold up not at all. Right. Uh, and, yeah, you've got a book that can really feel weighty, and it can deliver things that you don't expect because it's a future story that may or may not happen, or it's in an alternate universe, so... You don't have to worry about continuity or, right. or how it affects anything that's going on right now. So, yeah, it's, it takes a lot of classic stuff, you know, both Old Man Logan and this, and stuff that I really love. And, all right, you take that. You, you've got me half on your side already. I am not going to care about <laughs> Clint fighting Venom. I, just, I can't okay. understand why you would choose to do that. <laughs> why not? <laughs> Uh, I guess <laughs> the, the only interesting thing about Venom was ever, okay, the symbiote hates Spider-Man and Eddie Brock hates Spider-Man. So it's double the, now the symbiote who doesn't give a fuck about Hawkeye at all is merged with a thing. That's not even a person for Hawkeye to fight. Apparently I don't, I don't yeah, understand. I don't know, <laughs> but I'm interested in finding out. See that part I'm not interested in finding out. I am. I think once for me, like once I've decided I like a thing, I'm more willing to overlook the the thing that could be an issue. I, I think everybody is, and I think that's why I'm more inclined to give passes to Mr. Miracle than you are, because I like yes. Tom King. I want to like that. It's not perfect. It's got its problems. It's uh, if you reach the point, maybe I need the trade. Let's be honest. That might mean all right. This is not totally working for me. And if I'm honest, Mr. Miracle is not totally working for me. But I like Tom King, so I'm more inclined to give it the pass. So, okay. So yeah, you've decided you really like this. That's great. I like it. Yeah. But I could see some of the stuff working under the... Working under the... I see the man behind the curtain a couple times. And I don't care about that. Okay. All right. One last book. Yes. One that <laughs> was... <laughs> I think we both really like this one. Maybe for different reasons. Yeah, probably. Suicide Squad 33, written by Cy Spurrier, art by Fernando Passerin. Yep. Yeah, I mean, do you want to kick off on this one? First of all, did you read 
all or any of the Rob Williams uh, issues Read leading some up of to them, this one. Not all of them. He had a pretty solid run uh, at this from the start of DC Rebirth that just wrapped up a couple of weeks ago that I don't think we've talked about really at all. Uh, I generally liked it. Uh, it. It was solid. He had kind of had this challenge that he basically had to use the team from the movie, whether he wanted to or not. Yes. So, so like almost immediately killed and then brought back Captain Boomerang. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. He had to deal with them. He couldn't kill any of them permanently, but he found ways to get some people killed. Involved and, Zod. Yeah, I got a couple of betrayals in there <laughs> that managed to catch me by surprise. Uh, closed everything out by having the, bringing them in a circle, having them meet the original Golden Age Suicide Squad. It was never groundbreaking comics, which is probably why it never made the cut for us to talk about on a given week. Yeah. But it was solid storytelling. Week to week, yeah. It, it kept me engaged through the whole thing. So... Spurrier had a decent task ahead of him to follow that up. And I, I think he did really well with this. But So this is his first issue. Yes. And it's it's uh, subtitled The Chosen One. It's going to be a multi-part arc. And he addresses the idea of red shirts in this. Yes. <laughs> Literally. Yep. So, you know, at Bell Rev, there are the members of the Suicide Squad, but there are also other prisoners. It's it's a prison. Everybody doesn't get their own wing. Yeah. And sometimes Amanda Waller will press into service some of those other prisoners, generally for the purposes of cannon fodder and distraction. Yes. They get the same deal. Yep. And this is the first... Now, I've not read every Suicide Squad comic that's ever been uh, done. I miss most of it through the 80s, but I've been getting the trades that they've been coming out with for the last couple of years since they announced the movie. Yes. And I think that's the first time we've ever had the concept of, no, we're volunteering you. They get the same deal everybody else does. You get a reduced sentence. If you survive, that's the these if. are the ones <laughs> who are not expected to survive. Yeah, I mean, because the majority of these of these characters are, and they, they set up a really interesting thing. What happens if you are a low-level power user? You know, what if, you know, you're this guy who, who we're going to talk about, Juan. <laughs> yeah. Who, you know, you've wanted your whole life to be a, a costumed super. And, and you finally have that accident that is your defining moment, your origin story. And your power turns out to be kind of cool, but not something you can do a lot with. Like, all right, so now your hand is full of nanites that can open any lock. First, I have questions. How does it know just to go for any lock? And like, isn't everything really something that can be unlocked? Like your cell structure? <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> and that brings up an interesting point, which I want to bring up with as I go into some of my observations on this. Like, it but just seems to me like you could take your, your, your magical hand and put it up against anything and, and make it go away because you're unlocking. But that piece aside... <laughs> yes. <laughs> that piece aside. So he... They show as he attempts to apply to the Justice League and is washed out. And then inevitably... In, in, in a great scene. It's just a line of doofuses going out the door with Flash and Wonder Woman. He's yeah. like, I can unlock things so I could be, uh, was it Captain o uh, Open Sesame? Yeah. Or, or Senior Sesame. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm just going to stop you right there, sir. <laughs> yeah. But that also leads to the question of what, what in this universe... Are our services in place for people who have powers, but may need some assistance? Because the next thing that happens is you see he and his family are down on the, on their luck, so he's asked to put his powers in service of what appears to be a victimless crime, and they inevitably get busted. 
Sure. Which is what leads to him being sent to Bell Rev. I think that's the support structure. It's like <laughs> anything else. It's uh, <laughs> uh, get a job. Mm. Uh, either with or without your skill set. Uh, let's face it, I uh, I have a print journalism major. <laughs> I learned how to code because uh, <laughs> just because I had a skill set didn't mean anybody wanted it. Uh, or you do crimes and go to jail and yeah, they throw but you there, in a hole. There's a, an implied sort of underlying, if you are somebody who is not of means, what is society doing to help you rather than just telling you to get a job? Yeah. Because they're, they're showing that he... Who who is Latino? Um, be, because he is without other skill set. Apparently, the family needs help. They turn to a life of crime. He ends up in jail. Yeah, although you'd think uh, he could probably hang up a locksmith shingle pretty quickly and easily. You would think, but you know, again, I, I think they're trying to make a point. <laughs> yes, I, I get that, and that's not something I took from it. But it's an interesting point. So you know, then when you when you realize your role in the story is not what you thought it was going to be. And you see all of these other people. It, to to say that Harley Quinn has a better or worse skill set than this guy who can open locks. <laughs> yes. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. You know, why do these guys keep getting a pass? Why do these guys keep seeming to be unkillable? Killer Croc, I get, but <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and I have some thoughts on that that are pure speculation, and they are pure speculation. In the way that after the first issue of Civil War II, I speculated it could be a really interesting treatise on the concept of free will Mm. that was in no way represented in the actual book that came out. It was just me blue skying saying there's an opportunity here and I'm the only one who saw it and it had nothing to do with what the book is and that speculation probably is... Also, also has something to do with Suicide Squad in the sense that, oh, I see something here that is not going to happen. Yeah. But I'll talk about that in a minute. But anyway. Okay. So yeah, I, I just enjoyed the f- watching this character who's seeing all of this awfulness happen around him after Waller presses him into service. And, and the one place where he's like, maybe I can use my skill set here, it goes completely horribly wrong. Yes. Oh, he's <laughs> he can barely do anything. He helps one person... Captain Boomerang. Yep. <laughs> for some reason. Uh, and then, yeah, basically loses a hand. He, yeah, he's cannon fodder. That's yeah. what he's there for. He knows it. Everybody says it to him. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's after all this, everything goes absolutely wrong for him. So, yes. At the end of the book, he, he's left in dire circumstances by people who could, could save him if they chose to, but are choosing not to. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, just the, the concept of being a red shirt in a comic book is interesting. It's not one that pops up a lot. Yeah. It's never, you know, it's not like it's never been examined before. John Scalzi's red shirts, clearly. Clearly. Um, <laughs> but to me, it was an interesting take for a couple ways. And even without going into my weird theories about where this could go. Oh, get into your weird theories. I'll get to that. But to start with, it's an interesting take because when you consider the original post-crisis, not golden age, but the post-crisis mm. Suicide Squad, that book was designed to take characters that people knew, but who didn't really make any sense after crisis, but take characters that you knew and put them in situations where they could get killed. And you could kill them because nobody cared about them. Yeah. Now, it's it's easy to forget now, but Deadshot was like a 1950, not even, but he appeared in one issue of Batman. Of Batman. And he had like a top hat and a tuxedo. And tails, yeah. Yeah. And then Marshall Rogers and Steve Englehart made him look cool in their run of detective comics. But even then, I think he showed up one other time in between that 1977, 78 
detective comics right. and Crisis, nobody cared about Deadshot. <laughs> nobody gave a fuck. So, of course, you put him in Suicide Squad. Doesn't matter. Captain Boomerang. He was a rogue and a heavy member of Flash's rotation, but Barry Allen was dead. Yeah. You know, Mike Barron's Flash was grounded in reality. Reality and cocaine, apparently, based on some of Mike Barron's stories. But <laughs> a goofball who threw boomerangs did not have a place in Mike Barron's original post yeah. crisis flash. So, so you put could, him over in the squad. Right. So you could put him there and whack him out because they figured nobody cared. Uh, Count Vertigo, mm-hmm. you know, a great green arrows arch nemesis. But Mike Grell's longbow hunter's green arrow, not going to tangle with a dude who can make you dizzy. Right. Put him on the Suicide Squad because you could kill him. But then it kind of became a semi-hit and people loved Deadshot and Boomerang became really good. But that's even that's even how this plays out here in a way. It's, it's funny because even within this crew, there's the obvious tier of of the the bottom feeders the red shirts sure that are that are the no name cannon fodder with minor powers then there's killer croc and enchantress and harley and boomerang and they are they are wet work here they're providing distraction and chaos and disruption right but then there's another tier the more competent and as waller puts it saner members of the suicide squad so deadshot and katana and i forget who else uh rick flag rick flag are off, you know, doing actual like quiet investigation of this alien invasion to see what's going on on that level. Sure. So it's it's a que- it's it's layers of you know these people are the least disposable. These are the semi disposable. If they go away, eh. and then here's your cannon fodder. Yeah, it, absolutely. But from the context of the original Suicide Squad, the post crisis Suicide Squad, they were all disposable. Yeah. So. <laughs> that has clearly changed. So he's taken over a book that was originally meant to be this thing back in 1986. And now it's the suicide squad has a history. It has characters who are favorites. It's got a fucking movie, right? Nobody's killing Harley Quinn or Deadshot in suicide squad. No, I mean, thanks to the fucking movie. El Diablo is on the cover of this book and he fucking died in the movie. We can't let him go. He's already dead. <laughs> so, I think he'll come back. So, I feel good about his chances. Uh, it's a comic book, so he's not <laughs> Uncle Ben. So sure, yeah, he'll come back. <laughs> so as sort of a commentary on what Suicide Squad has become, it's kind of interesting. Uh, it also explicitly calls out sort of the implied, if you're going to call it Suicide Squad and have any kind of connection with that original, oh, anything can happen, Somebody has to be eligible to die. There needs to be a slipknot. There's got to be somebody nobody gives a fuck about. Right. And when you run out of them, you have to make one. Hence, Senor Sesame or whatever the fuck he wants to call him. Except I don't think he's going to die. Oh, I don't think so either. Again, I got a theory. Okay. I got a theory, but (laughs) but let me do one more point before we get to that. Uh, Williams and uh, Passerin... Also call out in a way that even the original, so the original Suicide Squad was more Cold War spy stories than real wet work stuff. Right. But it kind of calls out, if you're going to put characters in a situation where they're going to possibly die, there has to be some violence. And this is a violent fucking book. Oh, it is. This is, you know, it's not... (laughs) We have a splash page of Killer Croc in a completely unambiguous way eating a guy. Yes, yeah, it's yeah. Just shoving this guy's heart 
into his face. Yeah, there's no this dismembered corpse on his lap. He's just nom nom nomming it up like friskies. He's like, main course. <laughs> yeah. Um. So and yeah, people are dismembered by gunfire and lasers. It's a violent book because yeah, a book where it's like. I just watched the the Dirty Dozen this weekend. Yes, which is probably sort of a a spiritual not, progenitor progenitor of <laughs> yeah suicides. So people that people who are yeah you were sentenced to death if you do this mission where almost nobody comes back because yeah only three people came back from the Dirty right. Dozen. So yeah, but yeah, it's it's violence. It's you only do that if you're probably not going to come back. So, <laughs> yeah, and. Yeah, he's he's made the entire thing more violent. In Williams' run, Killer Croc and Enchantress were remarkably close to getting into a real human romantic relationship. Yeah. And now he's eating a guy. Uh, creative teams matter, kids. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a reason you could say I liked his run on bleh. Yes. <laughs> it's not just about the books. Now, should I go to my theory? Go to your theory. I think there's a real potential here. And again, I'm probably wrong about this. But something about the title and the internal narration that we're getting from Juan, I'm kind of hopeful because it could be really cool. There's a potential here for kind of a Grant Morrison, Animal Man. Breaking the fourth wall. Yeah, meta-narrative of what it means to be in this kind of book. Mm. when And what it means to be a character who maybe is so popular they're immortal. Yeah, that's reasonable. I mean, I think... I think Williamson laid the groundwork by having Boomerang killed off and then immediately brought back. It's possible. Yeah, it's uh, that could be tied together. But yeah, picture Juan. He he at this point in this first issue, he understands that and he has internal discussions about, you know, are people popular it, it, the popular ones don't get killed. It, are, do they not die because they're popular or do they become popular because they can't die because they're unkillable? Yeah. And I could see him starting to understand uh, this is a story. So, okay, to survive, I need to become popular. What do the popular characters do? And I can see a meta narrative of this green wannabe superhero, low rent supervillain trying to become comic book popular. Yes. And (laughs) (laughs) trying to decide, okay, well, Harley does this. So if I do these things, Will I, okay, if I become this violent, like Lobo or Wolverine, I become popular. Okay, what if I, and I, let's say I take that too far and I take out an orphanage full of puppies and kittens. Oh, now I'm becoming less popular. I can see him understanding how popular he yeah, is he's, and trying he's, to chase that dragon to become indestructible. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to just, you know, sometimes things happen. <laughs> yeah, And yeah, it's, the arc is called the chosen one. So if... If what Spurrier is going for here is somebody who understands this is what I need to do to be chosen, or here's what I think I need to do, and understanding the effect on his popularity within a comic book, you could have something really cool and interesting going on in Suicide Squad. Oh, it's it's fantastic, and and I, I've always enjoyed Cy Spurrier as a writer. Anyway, I just I love the idea of okay, so for for those of us that would be the normals. In the, in these books, those of us that would would typically be in the most danger, yeah. All right, I'm I've got somebody here who's just coherent enough to spend the book being able to narrate it, rather than all of the text boxes be. And here's where I pooped my pants again. Like this yeah. is, like, <laughs> yep. 
up, oh, up, oh, lost my bladder. Like, <laughs> and, and if this arc doesn't go any further than that, that's still it's pretty interesting. It's, yeah, you know, a little bit more than you get from a lot of just straight up superhero comics. Yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting commentary on you know if you're if you are in a world where you have you know some better shot than some others, but still not good enough to be in the big leagues. Where does that leave you? Yes, but I also think there's. And, and I'm probably wrong about this. It's probably what we are discussing here of, you know, oh, just a character understanding exactly how ineffectual he could be and what it means to just be a normie. Yeah. Uh, I hate that word, but a normal. Uh, yes. <laughs> within uh, Atypical. A super- yes, within a superhero universe. Could be interesting. But if you have a not quite Deadpool fourth wall breaking, but somebody who understands or comes to understand, I'm in a story and if I can become, if I can figure out the combination of things to become popular, well, he's even I doing, can never die. Yeah, I mean, he's doing things as basic as say my name. If you say my name, then I'm relevant to this story. Nobody will say his name. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but I, I can see him saying, okay, uh, Harley kills people like this, so I'm going to do this. So could, oh, I've lost a hand. Can you replace it with something with claws or something? You could have a yeah. really cool... <laughs> meta-textual thing of, okay, what does it mean to be a popular superhero book? Particularly within the the scope of a book that was never meant to have anybody popular in it. It was meant to be filled with disposable characters that you would read because I recognize this character and it doesn't matter if any of them live or die. And it very quickly moved beyond that. Deadshot was too cool to get killed. Yes. Very quickly they made him too cool to die. So you know he's going to be fine. Now it's a team full of people who've had a fucking motion picture and yeah some guy who understands no that's that's really what power is this is a story superman is indestructible superman was not indestructible when he was written he could leap and uh he was extremely durable well i mean that's sort of the funny part isn't it it's they they had a a movie the movie did okay but was critically ill received and and ill received by many comic book fans yeah but they're they're using this as the basis for or one of the arguments for why these characters are unkillable because now they're related to popular culture and are out in the world in other media. And yet, if you look at Marvel, where did the Fantastic Four go and why? Oh, yeah, that's the one promise of Marvel <laughs> legacy. And the problem is our local comic store was sold out of, uh, I would love to get my hands on Marvel 2-in-1, number one. Mm. Uh, I think uh, Chip Zdarsky wrote it and Jim Chung did the art. Okay. And... uh yeah, somebody who likes Fantastic Four. Yeah, the, one of the a couple of the cool moments in Marvel Legacy number one were uh, Johnny and Ben uh, Back saying together. Yeah. yeah, it's like oh, I feel like they've forgotten us as a kid. They'll never forget us. And shooting the four flare into the air and having uh, Franklin and Valeria at the end deciding universes to go explore. So the promise of bringing back the Fantastic Four, as initially probably seen in Marvel two and one, but yeah, just. We don't get review copies, kids. We buy them just like you do. So <laughs> but I was say, sold I've, out. It's just where I find it funny. It's like to, to link a character's popularity to the fact that they have a movie out there somewhere, even if that movie wasn't great. Nah, because in Marvel Land, that was one of the arguments that the suits were able to have to start writing out and diminishing the oh, Fantastic Four. Okay, I didn't make the connection. That's what you were saying. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the movies aren't doing great. We're not getting the rights back anytime soon. Fucking, we can't kill them, but we can we can minimize them significantly. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I didn't I didn't realize that was the connection that you were making. Yeah. And yeah, that could easily be a part of this. 
it's if again, I'm probably wrong. I'm probably seeing what I want to see just based on a single. No, but issue. I think I, I'm I'm excited for your vision for this. <laughs> Somebody call Cy for Christ's sake. It's not, he's probably got two or three issues in the can. It's not too late to pivot if I'm completely wrong. But yeah, a character really exploring what does it mean to be popular in a comic book, and if that means I have to act like Harley Quinn, what does that? What does it mean to have to act like that? Yeah, yeah. Is it worth selling your soul on a criminal level? Yeah. Let's face it. Some of the biggest heroes in comics are anti-heroes. You know. To reach Deadpool level fame, is it worth becoming that level of murderous monster? What does that do to me? I mean, honestly, like I said, the the one of the places I felt the most for him in this book was when he was um, denied by the Justice League. Like, guys, don't you at least have like an intern program? Can't he get you coffee? Do something? Uh, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's uh, the, the conceit of the metagene is something from like ten to fifteen percent of people have it. Yeah. And it takes some kind of triggering effect. So, like you let Wendy and Marvin hang out. What are they bringing to the table? They were victims very quickly. In uh, <laughs> was it outsider? No. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but <laughs> but you see my point. Uh, yeah. You're not going to let Juan ha- hang out, but you know, you can. You, Gleek is okay. Uh, look, somewhere, Gleek flings poo. Somewhere, Snapper Car is is working the money making end of a goddamn glory hole. Uh, just because you had a piece of the Justice League does not mean you get to have one forever. <laughs> what can I tell you? <laughs> also, my second favorite line of, of comic books this week is is in this book. And it, it goes to Enchantress and to Juan, uh, if I can find it. Okay. She makes... Uh, where the hell is it? Uh, we, we need some filler. Oh, I turn the pages ever so slowly. Uh, and then I find it. Here it is. Okay. <laughs> Let's see if I can even pronounce this. Forward, odious peasants. Follow the Enchantress or taste her stabby... Clipothic displeasure, and she spells it Q L, you know, because this exists in nature. Sure, I P P O T H I C, and <laughs> and then Juan says, no, no, don't just do what she says. We we should just you know at least sample some stabby Clipothic terror before we decide how bad it is. There's no need to rush this. Ah, <laughs> uh, that was my second favorite line. My first favorite line. I burn my family alive, and I like to light things on fire. Why isn't he on the damn Suicide Squad? Yeah! But see, that's, again, a popular character from DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Now he can't die. That's right. He can't be killed. And, and that's, yeah, that's even funnier, because in in television land, he started off as a sidekick to, to Captain Cold. Yeah. <laughs> and then he became so popular that he spun off into Legends of Tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, but it's it could be a really interesting story, not just about comic books, but about people and morals. It's if you could force yourself to act like Harley Quinn and it meant that you would never die, could you do that? Yeah. What would that do to you if that was a conscious choice? It's, it's a good question. God, I and I know I'm wrong about this. I know we'll probably just get the level of, oh, here's what it's like to be around superheroes. And that even that that's fine. Yeah. But man, it, there's so much potential here with what he's laid down. I want to believe the same way I wanted to believe about Civil War Two. <laughs> and I spent about <laughs> five minutes in this this episode bitching about Civil War Two. As you should. It, it not, was horrible. It not only fell below expectations, it fell below almost literacy. It just, <laughs> So bad, must warn others. Yes. <laughs> we have a podcast. There's so much potential that I see in this, and I really want it to be 
I would love to have a moment like I did reading Animal Man when I was 16 years old and realized, oh my God, he's writing about being in a comic book. I'd love to have that again. And there's, I think he set it up perfectly. I hope that's what he's after. Probably wrong. What are you going to do? I'm, I'm hoping for the best. But I enjoyed this book. Yeah, and, and the more we've talked about it, and the more I thought about it, it's initially when I, when I brought it up as a, a potential, I think we looked at it at the same level. It's like, uh, yeah, this is an interesting story. But yeah, I mean, everybody so far that has been killed has been um, a player to be named later. Like, you know, Harley's biggest fan <laughs> yeah. in, in the Williamson arc died. Yeah. There's no stakes there. We didn't really care about her. And also, it was another example of somebody from the outside who has idolized these characters and now is in their orbit and can't run with big kids. Yeah. It's, there are a lot of ways this could be a good story, but there's so much potential for it to be fucking, not necessarily groundbreaking, because again, we've got Animal Man. Right. Uh, but really excellent and a treatise about comic books themselves and about comic book characters and what it means for what it means about readers to be like, well, this is what you wanted because you like it in this character. Yeah. And he could do so much with this. And I'm, I'm hoping he's thinking of but I think more I, than what I'm thinking. No, but I, I do think you, you have a, a, a possible like line on where this could be going. I mean, otherwise, why in Williamson's arc would you bring back Zod? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, why would you do that? Because <laughs> uh, people love Man of Steel. <laughs> I think I'm the only one who still defends that fucking movie. Yeah, it's just there's no good reason to other than there was a movie out recently. Yeah. And therefore the character is more popular than he has been in a while. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> the only thing I can think of. Oh, there could be a lot of good stuff in this. And I'm probably projecting. But yeah, I'd say, like I was going to say, it's a, I gave this to you. Oh, this is pretty good. And he's doing something kind of interesting with it. And yeah, it took reading it a few times and thinking about it. Yeah, I think this is probably my book of the week. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm i there with you. Because when you were like, we need to cut these down to just talk about three, I'm like, oh, no, no, because the two that you have on the chopping block, like, I want to talk about both of them. Yeah. Mr. Miracle can go straight to hell. <laughs> <laughs> but you get you get so angry and the radio is so good. <laughs> so, yeah, if you're not a, if you're a Suicide Squad fan, have been like, oh, the modern ones aren't anywhere near the 80s. Well, this is also not the 80s Suicide Squad, but this is the the most interesting Suicide Squad story. It's I've... a it's a fantastic examination of of being around supers. Yes, with some potential to be really kind of cool. Yes. God, I hope I'm not wrong. <laughs> Probably wrong. All right, anything else, or uh, uh, should we wrap this up? We can wrap this up. Uh, I, I am learning uh, over the last few episodes uh, when I run out of beer, it's probably time to close out. <laughs> okay. All right. So don't know where you found this particular episode, but you can always find us at our home website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. We are, uh, oh, you can reach us so many ways and find <laughs> us so many ways. Uh, we are on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash crisisoninfinitemidlives. We are on Twitter. Twitter handle is at infinitemidlife. Uh, we are on Tumblr, but don't try to reach us there. Uh, but we're there, technically. <laughs> we're there. Crisis on Infinite Midlives. Uh, Tumblr. Tumblr.com. We are on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, whatever they're calling it now. You can The Void. Uh, the, the thing. Yeah, the Apple thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, if uh, you use, still use the Apple thing, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can subscribe to us there. Uh, also, if you get a minute, give us a rating or a review. It helps new listeners find the show. We are on Google Play, we're on Stitcher Radio, we're on TuneIn Radio. We're proud members of the Comics Podcast Network, 
And if you want to reach us, you can always email us, crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. Did I get everything? Yes. That's a first. All right. This has been episode 170 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening and derp. Watch me be totally wrong and watch Spurrier make the next five issues slash fic between Harley Quinn and... and, uh, Croc. Slipknot. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh.